Welcome to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, your home for everything related to marathon canoe racing. Now, it's time to get your paddles wet with your hosts, Kevin Olson and Bill Mahaffey. Take it away, boys. Welcome back, marathon canoe racing fans of the world. It is me, Kevin Olson, your host of the Canoe Race World podcast. I am here with my co-host, Bill Mahaffey. How are we doing today, Bill? I am like a kid before Christmas, man. We are we're, we're really close to the Asable Canoe Marathon, which is it's the greatest time of year. I don't care who you are. So I am ecstatic, man. How are you, yes. Kevin? I am just so excited about this show. I think we're this is going to be one of our best shows that we got going on, and so I just like, I'm just I'm just so happy that we're um, this close to the marathon, and we get to we get to talk about the marathon, and everything, and um, so I, yeah, just I just I'm just I'm just so happy to be here and talking. So um, we're, we're we're triple crown racing again, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, not not the virtual kind. This is like full on. Let's do it, and uh, we have so much to talk about in this episode, and we have a special guest. Um, some might call him, you know, the stats man, uh, but he is the official historian of the Asable River Canoe Marathon. Uh, Ryan Matthews, welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here. So, uh, yeah, so what we're going to do in this episode, this is the marathon preview episode. So everything we're going to chat about today is all about the um, Asabo River Canoe International Marathon. Is that what it is? A-R-I-C-M, I think? A-R-I-C-M is the committee. A-R-C-M is the race. Okay, well, I am corrected. So, um, so that is what we're going to be discussing today. We're going to talk about what it's going to be like with the upcoming week. Um, we are going to discuss marathon tips and then we're going to get into the nitty gritty and we're going to start breaking down who's entered this year and, um, what we're hoping to see out of the, the race and our our predictions for the race and then we're going to finish off the episode with some uh you know updates for those of you that want to know um about you know different things that have happened to the course and and things of that nature so am i missing anything out there guys man i I think you nailed it welcome to the show ryan if for those of us that don't know like give us a little bit of the ryan matthews backstory here right like i know you're a huge fan but yeah let's tell the story oh that that goes back way back um my first introduction to the canoe race was hearing it on the radio in my parents living room in uh 1991 just uh sitting on the couch with my dad and um a couple times as a kid after that you know, going down to the finish line and, and watching the teams come in. And and then uh, my dad and his best friend at the time, uh, Bruce uh, McLeod, they started building their own uh, Cedar Strip C1s to uh, practice. And with the goal 
to race together one day. And uh, so I went and I helped him build some cedar strip paddles and cedar strip canoes. And um, that's kind of how I got involved and, and familiar with the sport and the marathon. And right uh, on that. 91 was a great year to like be listening to because that was that was Surgeon one of the, Brett by like a minute and a half in front of Jeff and Bill. Uh, like, the, 90, right? I believe so. Um, 91 was, uh, according to John Cook, who was the previous historian, the most competitive marathon in history. Just mm-hmm. in terms of the the level of competition. Yeah, the field was was insane. There, like 89, 90, 91, and it really came to a peak. I I think I think he's right in 91. I I would have to check, but I think it was only a minute and a half. And then uh, Rick Joy with somebody else came in third that year. And Ken and Scott Steve, McKenzie. I think. Was that who it was? Okay. Yeah, yeah that, that was that was the year, um, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, um, the top three teams hit foot dam at the same time, but Scott McKenzie fell off the spillway back into the pond, and it kind of killed Rick and Scott's chances at competing for the win. Boy. Wow. It's crazy. The fact that you remember that is, yeah. Well, the, the 91, um, the top five teams all came into Alcona within a minute of each other. It was it was a competitive race. That's that's crazy. Yeah, that's that's impressive. So. Yeah. That's like uh, my uh, my dad used to say that that's how racing used to be more of, too, back in the day. Um where you actually had like a top pack, like, you know, they call, they call it the, the front pack. Whereas in, we don't, we generally don't see that much this year, but this year could be definitely a, a change to that. Yeah. This year's shaping up to be um, a little bit unique compared to years past fields, pretty wide open. So let's, uh, so Bill, I, we, I know all your fans want to know, how is your prep going for the marathon? Well, tell us about how you're feeling going into the race. <laughs> oh, man, how I'm feeling going into the race. Well, first off, I'm glad to be back, right? Um, really glad to be in. I, I don't have the, the hours that I would have historically in the past. I'm a little behind on that, but I've got a lot more quality time in uh, still working out some little things with boat things of that nature um kind of like I, I hate to call an audible this this late but i really want to see that there's a rumor that new grb boat's going to be in michigan and i really want to <laughs> yeah. see that thing that's yeah. that's all i'm saying not that you should like make a last minute change but i'm crazy enough i just might do it <laughs> so I might. Um, other than that, all the prep work is pretty well done. Um, at this point, you are what you are as a paddler. Um, you are what you are as a team. It's it's really hard to, you know, to really do anything beyond that. So I'm totally just in chill mode, you know, counting them down and trying to soak up the moment and enjoy it. So how about yourself? How's your training going? Yeah, my, my training is going well. I actually had a, a quite a quite a few uh, um, very stressful days 
you know, uh, leading up to actually getting my my partner. I'm uh, ecstatic. I'll be paddling with uh, Sylvia Nadu from uh, Canada. Uh, she, uh, Joe uh, Schlimmer. Well, there's a whole bunch of uh, <laughs> there's a whole bunch going on with what was going to happen with the Canadian border and everything. So. Um, but the tentative plan was to paddle with Joe if the Canadian border wasn't going to open, but then he, um, hurt his shoulder. So then I was like scrambling because, but then they announced that they're going to, you know, let Canadians come over and, and change quarantine, um, you know, mandates if you had two shots and my Canadian partner that I had lined up, if the border was going to open, uh, wasn't going to be vaccinated in time. So then I was totally out without any partner. So luckily I was able to, um, uh, get hooked up with Sylvie, um, because that was going to be Joe's partner, Canadian partner. So, um, super ecstatic about that. But, um, with that being said, uh, I'm tentatively supposed to, I guess, open on the 21st and she's supposed to be coming in then. Um, but if it doesn't, we're going to, we're definitely going to be running the GRB. If it does, you know, she wants to run the, her Corbin, uh, 2010. So, um, the, you know, I got to give a huge shout out to GRB, um, for supporting me. Um, they are my main sponsor and, uh, they they have provided you know i have the boat and the boat's going to be in michigan boat's going to be in michigan after the marathon um it's going to be it's going to be bill's going to be hosting the boat for a while so for any of you guys that want to get out and try it out i suggest you do while it's still in michigan um it's a great boat i have i have had i put a you know an oc guy in it um, that's never paddled, uh, in a marathon boat and we crushed it, you know, uh, so it's a very user friendly boat. Um, and it's still got some good speed to it. So it's, uh, Gene told me it's going to get me through the night in the marathon, meaning that it's going to ride wake extremely well. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that boat's already, uh, my crew is, is shipping out on Saturday. So, um, super excited uh, to to get going with the whole thing. So, yeah, that's that's awesome. Christian and I are looking forward to it as well. Uh, for for those of you that don't know the backstory, I am doing the marathon with Christian Ecker. Uh, Chris has been my best friend since like 2001. Uh, we actually started this adventure together in 2014. Um, I lost a, a ton of weight, got in great shape won a truckload of money in a poker match and bought a racing canoe. And th- this thing has always been a, a huge obsession of both of us. He he grew up just down the street from Tony Short, still a, a huge Tony Short fan. Um, I, I think he even put that on his little marathon entry guidebook thing. Um, and literally when I bought the boat, he was like, what do we need to do this, man? And I was like, well, they use these fancy, you know, paddles that are really expensive and do, 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 do. And next thing you know, there's a box at my house with ZRE paddles. And he's like, we're, <laughs> we're doing this. We're going to, and I'm like, no, nah, man, you don't understand. I, 
I literally just bought this boat to like throw it on the roof of my car and look cool. Like I didn't, I didn't intend to do this, you know, but, but we paddled our butts off in 2014. We got to the end of June, 1st of July. And that was when we really realized that there was just like, holy catfish. These, these guys are nuts. It's really, really hard to go from grailing to Camp 10 Bridge in under six and a half hours, even in the daylight. It, it's, it's not an easy feat. Um, and that was when we, you know, we pulled the plug um, and turned spikes into, which is cool. Um, uh, turned spikes into our marathon. Um, we, we had an absolute blast. Somehow they signed us up in expert one, which is the Michigan version of the, the pro class. Um, and expert two is the, the amateurs. Somehow we ended up in expert one. I, I know for a fact, we did not check expert one and we weren't last. So we were like, this is awesome. This is, this is the greatest thing ever, man. Um, Yeah. So that's, I'm really stoked. We're, we're best friends. And this is a kind of a, a finish what we started tour for us. Um, it, it is what it is. The, the, the field is so fast and so deep this year that this is not a year to really worry about place or anything. You're, you're racing a river. So yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I, I look forward to it. Could this just be part one for you too? Uh, it, definitely possible, right? We, we've got some things that we have to work out. Um, there's, we, we've always had a, you know, a weird lean, even back to 2014, we were talking about it earlier that we're, we're trying to work out. Um, and it, it's hard to say if we can get the bugs worked out most definitely, because I really, um, and I wrote a, I wrote an article back when canoe race world was more like, you know, writing little blog posts and stuff like that about the marathon dating game and all the pressures and the stresses and things of that nature. I got to tell you, this has been probably my favorite marathon in that aspect in that I knew last year that if I was doing the marathon, I was doing it with Christian. Like, I, I felt absolutely no pressure whatsoever. And it's been fantastic. Just, just really great. And I would like to, like between you and me, we in and the tea leaves, we both have a mutual goal of top forty, you know. So that would be really cool if we could get there together. Yeah. You, you talk about that that marathon dating game, and and I just have to make a note: the the website's still there for you to write blog posts. <laughs> 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 that, yeah, that, that is true that that is true yeah i i should probably get back on that so uh, yeah. me, i, I was actually uh oh sorry oh no go, oh, go, go ahead, ahead Brian. i was actually uh reading through some of the the crw stuff the other day and i i saw bill had written two posts about the first two checkpoints essentially and how he was going to continue on and it's you've got you've got a few more checkpoints to write there bill yeah, I, I still, um, for a few months, even after I stopped, I think it was Eric Batway, like, would get a hold of me and be like, so when are you going to keep going, Bill? You, you realize there's more timing points. And I'm like, yeah. I, I have a lot of them written. I've just never actually published them. So, yeah. All right. Oh, but uh, but going back to that dating game, man, I've talked to so many people this year. Uh, 
you know, and everyone has has said that the that dating game was was higher and more stressful this year than than years past. And I think we're going to see that when we talk about um, the actual field uh, coming up here in a, in a little while. Yeah. So so for those of those of you that may be listening. Um, Let's throw this one over to Ryan. Hey, Ryan, can you give us a quick blurb? Like, what are these crazy people talking about when they're talking about the Asable River Canoe Marathon? Oh, man. Uh, it's a 120-mile almost sprint from uh, Grayling to Oscoda. And I say almost sprint because it's a nonstop, can't-stop type event. Um, in contrast with, say, uh, some other endurance races where you might be able to stop and rest for a few hours, uh, you don't really have that option in the marathon. You just have to keep going. And this race draws some of the best, if not the best, competition in the world to the to the waters of the Asaba River. And uh, it's the center jewel of the triple crown of canoe racing and and it's one hell of a race yeah that's man that that's i i don't know if i can put it any better it's one hell of a race for sure um absolutely world-class competition in single blade paddling for sure no other way to put it and um and and from an outsider's perspective, I'm going to say that it's probably, from any race that I've ever been to anyways, so I can only speak from my own experience, it's one of the most well-run um, races um, that there is. And we're going to now go through the marathon week because it's like so well run it, it encompasses an entire week's worth of activities. It, um, yeah, so it... It does, and it takes a, like, this is a moment where, not, not to cut you off, but this is a moment where we really got to say thank you to all the volunteers, all the committee members. Like, if you're listening to this right now and you're not racing, they're still looking for volunteers. It it takes not just a village, but multiple villages to make this all happen. And we can't, as competitors, as fans, we can't say thank you enough for that. I, I second that that uh, sentiment very much so, Bill. As one of those volunteers, we do appreciate it. So but, uh, you're definitely right. It there's there's um, a small handful and and Grayling and Oscoda that uh, are that are on the committee, but we help wrangle a couple hundred volunteers doing other jobs, and it's it's definitely a big task to get this race organized. Yeah, for sure. It's uh. It's it's definitely uh, we appreciate anyone that that donates their time, um, you know, and uh, I it just we're just so thankful to be able to go and perform for everyone and 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 do what we want to do as racers. But we couldn't do that without without other people being on the uh, on the sides w- w- uh, willing to volunteer their time. So um, but with that being said, why don't we get into some meat and potatoes Let's start breaking down the week. So 
the week starts basically the weekend before the marathon. So that is a spikes challenge. So we have uh, Spike C1 on Saturday and Spike C2 race on Sunday. Correct, Bill? Yep, that, that is correct. Um, now, the competitors will sprint, or the majority of them will sprint for starting position for that C2 race on Saturday. That'll be on City Park Pond. Um, Saturday afternoon will be the C1 race going from Joe Wakeley's house down to Burton's Landing. Just a titch over five and a half miles. Um, one of the premier C1 races here in Michigan. Now I say one of the premier because really you've got three nice, big, and even four this year, if you count the Nuago event that they're hosting, big C1 races. Um, with the MRTD, Harry Curley draws a big field, and then Spikes always draws the the, the bangers, the bangers, man. L- last year it was Lejoie, you know, obviously from Canada. Um, Danny Medina in second and then Chris Eisendorf in third from Texas. I mean, this is the the best of the best show up for the C1 race. Um, and then you get the first 22 ish miles of the course, um, from town to McMaster's bridge and the C2 race on Sunday. And if you do spike C2 race and you want to be competitive about it, it's a 22 mile sprint would be about the best way to put it so um, yeah and that's uh it's 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 a little mini uh version with a start too because you guys start a little bit closer together and then uh, a little bit closer to the actual put-in correct it, that that is correct yeah um so little spike start story before we move on to uh, the, the next part of marathon week very first spikes challenge 2014 with christian um we we sprint we're, we're awful we're in the last last or second to last row uh the people that actually sprint the only people behind us there's a few people and then the people that don't sprint start back there uh, a veteran paddler um chris Cahare comes up to us and says all right guys don't take this the wrong way you guys are what you are right you're here because you didn't sprint very well and you don't move a canoe very well when the gun goes off resist the urge to go crazy on the run and pass a bunch of teams because if you do you're just going to get passed back by them and it's going to be mass chaos (laughs) so we soak that information in and i'm thinking no problem because christian will openly declare he doesn't run right Mm -hmm. like he'll tell you "I, i don't run i don't run the gun goes off. We're starting on the left side of the Lamont start. He takes off like he's been shot out of a cannon. Like all of a sudden I'm going, I don't know if I can keep up with him. He's up on the sidewalk and we're streaking by teams, just flying by everybody. And I'm like, holy crap. We got in the water. It was absolute mass chaos. And by I-75, every team that we passed on the run, probably all 20 to 30 of them, had passed by us because we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, oh, that's, yeah. that's funny, but it brings up a, you know, kind of just a little tangent is that the, the, the start to the marathon itself is one of those most exciting, uh, you know, viewing uh, points of a marathon race. Um, you know, it's just around a quarter mile to the, the, the you know, 
where you put into the water starting i always describe it to people that have never been there i'm like you basically start in the middle of the town and you know a cannon goes off and there's just you know it's like a full-on professional uh, you know athletic event where there's just a huge crowd you can't hear anything and you just sprint like hell to get into the water um and then just hope that you can get out of town clean (laughs) absolutely yeah that's that's about it man that's about it let's let's move on to the second event of marathon week the dash for cash over in oscoda which has some sick they they literally mean it when they say dash for cash there's a lot of cash at hand some sick money involved um ryan walk us through the dash man the, the dash is essentially canoe drag racing uh, it's about, if I remember correctly, just between a fifth or a um, quarter mile sprint. Um, the heat's about a minute, 20 seconds long. And it's a it's a bracket style event where two teams sprint off against each other and the winner advances. And, and um, you do that for several rounds until there's a champion. And, and um, it's... If I'm not mistaken, the most money you can earn per hour in in paddle sports. Yeah, in paddle sports, yeah. <laughs> and it's a it's a it's a blind draw, right? They just randomly draw the names to fill the brackets out. Yep. Uh, the 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 random draw is done in order of um, sign up. So the first team that signs up is the first to draw a number out of the the bucket, and that number corresponds to a seed on the bracket. And uh, that that random draw has has definitely set up some interesting um, sprints, uh, interesting competitions, uh, even right off the get-go. It really makes for some good racing, especially when two two faster teams have to face each other early and it, it, you know, to stay alive in the bracket. Right, really changes the really changes the bracket and changes the race with that with that blind draw like that. I I have did that event only once. Shame on me. Um, but I did it the year that I did it with LJ. Uh, I raced with LJ Bourgeois in 2016, and LJ and I surprisingly could sprint, so we could. Um, we drew Haley and Rebecca, I believe, in the first round. Whoever we do in the first round was fast. And we kept it close. We kept it within like, I don't know, maybe a second and a half or something like that. We were on cloud nine just for being that close. Like for us, that was good, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I did the dash for cash once uh, in 2015 when I was able to come out that early because um, it's on Tuesday. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool event. You know, I, I really... Uh, I really think that's pretty cool. I always found it interesting, though, that the, usually the fast guys are also fast sprinters. <laughs> Every once in a while, you get some really big surprises. Uh, the the biggest one that comes to mind for me is uh, Mark and Eric Ferguson um, taking second one year. Just came out of nowhere. No one had them even making the, the final four, let alone the championship race. And they were beating really fast teams. Yeah. If I remember right, I can't remember what it paid, but it was worth my time to drive over there and lose. So (laughs) I have no complaints about that at all. (laughs) 
Well, if you make the top 32, um, 30, you know, uh, uh, 25th through 32nd pays 50 bucks a team, and then I don't have the payout in front of me, but um, like the next 16 spots, I'll get 100 bucks a team, and it goes up from there. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, good. It's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yep. Not so. not that we do this for the money as professional athletes, but <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's not bad for you know a minute and a half to three minutes worth of work right yeah, oh, yeah for sure exactly yeah for sure so um so yeah so after that then on wednesday is when action really starts to really pick up so on wednesday is when the sprints for starting positions start so the sprints go from wednesday to friday um and this is where you um Where's the start again? I'm I'm sorry, I'm having a uh, link. Start Penrods. at Penrods. It's Penrods, yep. that's right. Yep. And so you go Penrods up to the fly shop, turn a buoy, and then back to Penrods. And um and basically how fast you do the sprint will determine where you start on the street on set on on Saturday night. Um do you guys want to say anything about the sprints? I, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. The only thing I will say, though, real quick, for those of you that are listening, there is a new rule this year, if I remember correctly. What it is, I don't, I'm going to defer to Ryan on, and maybe I'm wrong on that, but. For the sprints, um, yeah, uh, no team members can be in the sprint course water while the sprints are going on. That was a new rule added this year. Um, to help prevent interference like we had, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. I, I, I'm not familiar with what happened, so do you want to speak on that? or? Well, I, I won't name names, but a uh, feeder for a team was standing in the water cheering on their, their guy sprinting at, while another team was coming back upstream. Oh, gotcha. Got in their way accidentally, probably. Yeah, not not even realizing it. Yeah, gotcha. Oh, just one one of them things. Yeah, that's. Um, oh. an, another thing that they are uh, considering this year for the sprints is moving that start finish line slightly downstream, just so it gives a little better spectating at Penrods. Mm. Uh, I haven't heard if they are going to do that for sure or not, though. Gotcha. <laughs> Gotcha. And uh, what I really like about the sprints is because, like, watching the the leaderboard go through the whole uh, three days, and it's uh, the first time when you're actually going to get to see, like, how's the the actual um, list of competitors going to um, kind of look, you know, look like come race day. Um, As a competitor, you're able to then say okay who's who am i going to be racing with and against uh throughout the marathon and it's interesting to see the the names you know move up and down the board as the days go on i think yeah it really gives a good uh preview of how the race might shape up yeah yeah i i would on, on that before we move on i would say the old adage of you are what you sprint typically holds true there are exceptions to that rule but you can get a real good feel for for where you're at um the pecking order who your competition is things of that nature by 
just those basic sprints. And most teams will finish within five to seven spots of where they started. Man, that is that is amazing. From the stats, man. <laughs> From the stats, man. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and that will actually tie into, we're going to uh, talk about some tips uh, coming up here in just a couple minutes. Um, and that was part of one of the tips that I gave uh, one of our, one of the rookies that is uh, going to be doing the race next week. So, okay. right. Right on. Uh, we, after, after that, we got a briefing on Friday. Yep. Uh, paddler intros. Like, I, I haven't, and shame on me, but is there any changes for sure with briefing, intros, anything like that? Uh, not that I've heard. Um, I don't know if the, I can't recall off the top of my head if the start time for that changed from 7 to 6.45. I, I'm not 100%, 100% sure. But it, it should still work the same as it has the last few years, uh, lining up behind Ola Sabal and walking the boardwalk in front of the crowd. And I just want to, you know, kind of say there's there they have you guys have like a whole program that goes on. Like, I don't know when you guys start it, but there's just people, massive amounts of people on that bank um, that are there that, you know, are there to cheer on their team and, and every other team. So it's a pretty cool event. Um, you know, the first year I didn't understand why we had to do it until I walked it, you know? Um, so it is pretty cool too. So it's not something to be skipped. No, definitely yeah. not. So, and, and, and then the race, the big, the big, uh, gun goes off at 9 PM sharp. Um, and then you paddle all night into the next day and you're going to finish somewhere around what what's it around noon to four right the the leaders start coming in around 11 30 a.m on yeah, sunday okay. depending yeah. on the water levels yep yeah. so um so that is your marathon week in a nutshell um for those of you that have never done it before uh you guys can kind of have an idea of what how it's going to lay out um, let's get into some marathon tips, uh, for our, um, newbies, um, to the marathon and, uh, people that are listening that are just interested in it. You know, I know there's, there's people that, uh, you know, do marathon, but they, they don't know about, you know, the ensemble itself. So, um, I want to start off. This is actually, I'm going to put Katie Peck out there. She uh, asked me this question and uh, we're going to, we're going to give it some uh, time here on the podcast. So basically she asked, how hard are you paddling uh, in the marathon? And I thought it was a great question because um, it goes into what I would call pacing a race. So, each race that we do is of different length, so it's going to be paced differently if you want to get the best time that you can, personally, and uh, finish, too, is another one. So um, when I we were talking a couple minutes ago about um, the sprints, one of the ways that I told her to uh, evaluate her pace was I said – study your sprints, um, study your, the, you know, what teams are going to be around you based off of your sprint position. 
And I told her that the reason for that is if you find that you're passing a bunch of these boats early in the night, you might be running too hot. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that this is such a long race that you, you can, there's a real big risk if you don't like cool your jets, um, that you could run into some big problems in the second half of the course if you don't pace it right. So do you guys have uh, any tips for uh, for uh, pacing the race? One of my, mm. one of my biggest well, ones yeah. is, um, you know, don't – it's hard to resist the urge because you're full of adrenaline from the start, you know, the crowd screaming at you. But don't go out of town like a bat out of hell. Um Try and just get in line, get in, get your groove going, get your groove going. You know, get the get your muscles burnt in, and then start moving up. There's not a lot of places to pass early, so I um, mean, you got to really pick your spots. So just kind of get in the groove, and then and then when the river starts widening out, then start pick up the pace a little bit, and then you know, and you can you can judge how your body's feeling. Yeah, I I would generally agree with that. You know, for the 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 middle specifically, um, or even further back in, uh, I think at the top. And, and forgive me because I've never been there, but I think at the top, it's a it's a it's a drag race. It's a sprint for as long as you can possibly sprint, and then recover, and then sprint some more. Um, and I think for the middle, they have to be a little, and I speak for myself as the middle, they have to be a little more cognizant that I'm a huge fan. For those of you that don't know, I'm, I'm a show up until you blow up kind of person. If I <laughs> try to pace myself in a short race, it, it's awful. So I have to show up until I blow up, but I have to be cognizant not to do that in the marathon because it's a long ways to Oscoda if you blow up. Yeah. For sure. It's it's one of those things that you could do, like, you can dig yourself into a hole that you just can't recover out of, uh, too. So I, I think that a lot of people that have, have done the proper training will tend not to do that. Um, one of the other tips I, I gave Katie is I was discussing the, the General Clinton, because um, she's done the General Clinton a couple times. So... Um, I would I would suggest relying on your um, effort level for the General Clinton, and the reason I say that is because um, the General Clinton is going to be eight to ten hours, uh, you know, ish um, for a lot of a lot of paddlers out there, and at that length of time, you've if you paddle that properly, and you don't if you aren't like totally blown up by the end of it. Um, you basically can go almost at the same rate for the, you know, I wouldn't say the exact same rate for the marathon, but a similar rate. Um, because at that point it's about how much nutrition you can sustain and, in, and, in, in, uh, digest and uptake into the bloodstream to use for the continued pace. Um, because that's the thing. If you go too hard, you're going to run out of glycogen, and that's what they call bonking, and you're going to hit a wall. And the only way to recover is to really slow up 
and eat food until it gets assimilated into your bloodstream. Yeah, that's that that sounds way more technical than what I don't normally get into. But that sounds like the blow up. So yeah. Yep. Let's go with the blow up. Uh, that the, the only thing on the other side of the coin with the marathon is that um and I experienced this personally in twenty fifteen, my first marathon ever. You see some people that intentionally go out too slow. Um, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll never forget 2015. Um, we're, we're just like, this is literally, we're going to Oscoda. We're going to, we're going to make sure that we finish this. Yada, yada, yada. Um, it was with Ed Lipinski that year. And we go by a spectator between Stefan and Wakely. And he shouts out our place and goes, you guys got to get moving. And Ed goes, hey, hey, well, yeah. He says, did that guy say that we're really back in 80th place? And I was like, yeah, that's what he said. He's like, dude, we got to go and we got to go now. <laughs> so you don't want to fall into that trap either. For sure. For sure. Because you can't get time back. You know, it's very hard to get time back in a in a canoe race. Um, you know, and, and, and also there's going to be fatigue at the end of the race, no matter what you can't fight off the eventual fatigue. It's really, um, trying to find that sweet spot as best you can. Um, whereas in you don't cause, you know, extra fatigue, um, going into the second half, but you also don't undershoot it like you're saying. And then, uh, then you're trying to make up time in the second half, which is just, it's just going to be a, a lost cause. It just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so, from, from my experience, it does work, but <laughs> that might be just because of how I planned my race with my dad the year I raced with him. Okay. Well, yeah. Walk us through that. How, how did that race go with your dad? Well, I'm, I'm a, bigger paddlers so there's no way in heck i get going really fast in the upper water but uh we planned uh, at least i planned my feed so i'd I'd maximize my energy in the in the ponds and we were running around 66th around stefans we ended up 45th and almost all the teams we passed after alcona so it was just I, I I hit my second win coming around four thousand one and the wind didn't leave my sails till just after Whirlpool, which is about forty five minutes from the finish line. From the end. Yeah. So and we just motored and um it at least for my own experience, it's all about how you, you plan your race out and, and how you plan your feeds. But you know, what works for me doesn't work for other people, which is the nature of the sport. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. If it very, very much so, and you will find that, yeah, everybody runs it a little bit differently. Um, yeah, no, that's that's interesting to hear. You guys pick up twenty-one teams. Yeah, over the course of the race, we we passed. Oh man, I'd have to go back and look. It was a twenty ten marathon, but we passed a ton in the Alcona and Five Channels and Cook section. And I still remember because Nate Winkler comes up and, and reminds me of him all the time because we passed him and his partner that year on Cook, and he said it was like when the leaders were going by him just because of how <laughs> steady our boat was. 
Nice. Uh, you, you you didn't even like stop and let him ride for a bit. You just oh kept heck no. We my dad my dad doesn't really like. I mean he's kind of like Al Whiting. He doesn't like a lot of people riding him for too long. And um, one of the teams that was riding Nate um, was is really notorious. I won't name names, but is really notorious for riding and riding and riding and not pulling their weight. So we went way wide of both of them teams. In the pond to make sure they wouldn't latch onto our big <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's that. That's awesome. So yeah. Hey, mo- moving on to like some more marathon tips and stuff. Um, things to help your pit crew. Like I, for those of you that haven't did this before, or maybe don't have a lot of experience with it, your pit crew basically keeps you alive. The most important thing that I can say is be nice to your feeders and be nice to the other team's feeders. <laughs> um, don't, don't be that guy like yelling at the feed crew. There's, there's nothing worse than that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. That's that, that goes without, almost goes without saying, but uh, it definitely gets lost in the heat of the moment. Sometimes uh, definitely heard uh, some, uh, harsh words and man more props to the, the pit crew that keeps on uh going with their team when they're when they're not treated well but yeah you gotta treat you gotta treat your pit crew great and you hear horror stories too about paddlers yelling at their pit crew and then their pit crew going home yeah. so yeah yeah man, that, that's yeah. crazy that, so, that's nuts. Can you imagine getting to your next feed and they're just not there? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm out. Or, or the next feed after that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's oof. Oof. Uh, the, 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 the Lucy's tell a story, and I, I hope I get this right. Um, there is something that one of them absolutely hates, something that John absolutely hates. And um, he said the wrong thing one year. So you know what he got on his next feed from Cheryl? Because Cheryl was feeding him that year. Whatever it was that he absolutely hates. I don't know if it's grapes or <laughs> maybe it's grapes. The grump hates the grapes. That might be it. So she just kept feeding him grapes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. But other things, uh, being from, so like when I've done the race, I haven't had the time to really like, um, I don't know the river well, okay, so, um, and, a, you know, first couple uh, pits, you know, are on wa- in the water um, in the middle of the night, so what I found to be very helpful is um, making a light sign for my pit crew, and what I do is I make a light sign of my, my number, okay, and the reason I do this is um, I, I kind of think of it as like, you know, like NASCAR when they go in the, the pit, the, you know, the pit stops, pit, pit road, yep, pit lane, pit road, they all have their little flags over their pit, their pit spot. So, uh, I'm like, when I thought of this in 2017, I'm like, that will be so much easier because in 2015, a little backstory is we, we, um, hit one of the fish hides early in the race and opened a, a huge hole in our boat and early probably about 40 minutes in and we yeah, rode for the yeah we you rode we rode for the next you know two hours and we you know 
I hadn't paddled. I only paddled like maybe twice at night. So like my concept of time was off. So like we'd go around every corner and we'd see a bunch of people and we'd slow up thinking that that might be our pet. <laughs> and we just kept on doing that. We were calling out 15, 15, 15. And, and you know, they were not to be found. So then sprint back, you know, we'll go, oh, that's not it. And so then we keep going. So in 2017, I'm like, that's not happening. And in 2017, I had less time on the water too there. So I made this light sign. And let me tell you, it saved us. We dropped a paddle at one point, and our pit crew, um, I give a shout out to Jessica. Um, I think her name's, you say, Devault? Devault, uh, yep. Yep. Uh, so Jessica's a great, uh, you know, been in my uh, corner, both marathons I did, and uh, very thankful for her help. And all of a sudden, we're just paddling out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, I said, that's our sign. We got to go over here. And I knew it wasn't a pit, but they had found a, a spot to get on the side of the river and give us our paddle back because uh, someone else had picked up the paddle right after we dropped it and dropped it off at one of the, you know, at the, the, the pit that we were at. And uh, I can't tell you how helpful that was. We knew exactly where we were going, and it, there was no confusion, you know, because everyone, you know, was like, oh, well, I'm going to put these, you know, like, uh, going to do little, you know, neon, you know, the, the um, little sticks or whatnot, or little blinking lights or things of that nature. Um, but when you have the light sign, that's your number, it, 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 it's clear as day. So that would be my, my suggestion, um, to help you and your, your pit crew find each other, um, during the night. So yeah, definitely some kind of very uh, easily identifiable light or signal. Yeah. And then like the last one is have a detailed um, list for your pit crew on what you want when um you know if you don't have that it's just going to be very hard for them uh whereas and if they know what to to pack for you at each pit um at each feed stop you know kind of like what ryan was talking about planning his race out um you know and i'm sure he had a full list for his pit crew um so they knew exactly what to give them at what points um, yeah, that's another big thing. Which, which really leads to just a general overall tip. Um, never try something in the in the race that you haven't tried in practice, right? Like, so if you haven't tried it in your feed on a practice run, you probably shouldn't bust it out in the canoe marathon. Right, because you never know how you're going to react to it. Yeah. If you're, yep, if you're I, spontaneous. Yeah, yep. I've I've only had one thing that I've tried on a training run that did not sit well and made me instantly sick. And every time I remember that moment, I go, man, thank you, dear paddling Jesus, that I did not decide to try that on a marathon night for the first time. Because it's a, it's a fairly common thing that a lot of other people do. And I tried it on a training run and was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, Never again. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Yep. So, uh, hey, hey, Ryan, what do you what do you think about like some other things for that pit crew? What do you think they should have as far as if you were setting them up, what would you give them? 
Well, if they're a, if they're a fairly inexperienced uh, pit crew or they don't really know the area well, definitely driving directions to each spot they need to be, and a rough time estimate of when you know between each point there you're, you're going to show up. That yeah. helps a lot. Um, um, labeling your your drinkers for which feeds you want. Um, that definitely helps feeders too, because then they can just open the cooler, grab whatever one's labeled. Um, yep. I know some people yep. like to have their feeders mix the drinks right before the feed, which is, you know, it's all personal preference. But uh, I know a lot of people who they'll, they'll label the drinker bottle, it's pre-filled, and they just have to attach the hose and hand it to you. Uh, yeah, I don't even know how that happens. The paddle wife takes care of that. She's just like a genie. She makes the magic work. <laughs> all I know is I get a jug every so often, and it's a different drink flavor, which is the, hey, that's another great tip. It's That's the greatest thing ever because I'm always like, hmm, I wonder what flavor I'm going to get. Ooh, this is great. This is delicious. <laughs> you know, the next one's like lemon berry and, you yeah. know. It, you definitely yeah. want different flavors because you will get sick of the same flavor. I, I, that that was a you know you talk about um, pre mixing and 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 mixing after my first marathon I pre mixed all my all my jugs but we started getting sick of our uh, drink in the second half so then I needed water so then it was like a real struggle for my pit crew because they didn't have uh, water so um, I made that change the second time to do, you know, I'm like, I'm going to have them, I'm going to have a couple pre-mixed, but after that, I'm going to have them mix them because um, if I want to go to water um, at the tail end, I want to be able to have that opportunity to do so. Yeah, and, it, and everybody is a little different in that aspect. Um, it seems like liquid is the the general consensus but there's a lot of people that actually and, and i'm going to try like shame on me because i don't do it in my um in my training routine i'm going to try a little more like real food this year um i don't know if you guys have ever had them but i've i have a paddling buddy uh flash marsh that i think it was flash anyways takes an uncrustable at some point during the race <laughs> and my kids introduced me to uncrustables in 2020 mm -hmm. and they're like crack so <laughs> I, I yeah we, we cage fight over the uncrustables i'm gonna try an uncrustable in the race this year oh, yeah. um normally i eat a, a little bit of fruit i kind of pick at some fruit throughout the course of the night um my first year I tried a peanut butter and honey sandwich, and by tried a peanut butter and honey sandwich, mm -hmm. I mean it was McKinley when it came my way. Um, they forgot it, so my brother-in-law waded out in the river, threw this thing like a football, and landed it on the canoe. Huh. Wow. <laughs> in, the, in the process, he lost his brand-new $800 cell phone. Oof. Okay. And the real kicker here is, is I never ate the damn sandwich. Oh, wow. <laughs> He's like, I lost a brand new cell phone and you never ate the sandwich? <laughs> so the next year we got the sandwich and um, I forget who I paddled with the next year, but I was like, hey, dude, I'm sorry, but I got to eat this sandwich. There's a little backstory behind it. If I don't eat it, I am in a world of trouble. 
Yeah, that's funny. I, I tried a sandwich in my first marathon and um, never again. The the bread got soggy because of condensation and oh man, that was the only time I've ever thrown up in a racing canoe. Huh. Yeah, I've I've done uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, I I, do, I regularly do them, um, but there you got to have the right consistency of it too. It's definitely. But I'm moving to Uncrustables too. Um, Bill, Are you sure? okay. I've I've hey. uh, been testing them in training, and um, I think I think what I like uh, most about them is they're very predictable, you know, and uh, and they're, and they're Rebecca the, Davis also uses them too. Does she? Okay, they're the exact perfect ratio of jelly and peanut butter, and the bread is perfect. And uh, dear people of Uncrustables, if you're out there. Right, like we want you to know that we love you. Sponsor and, the race. And not, not, yeah, not, that's exactly. You should sponsor the ARCM, please. Can you race so world that is looking yeah. is uh, yeah, title sponsor. Yeah, can you race world? They could be. They're they're that amazing. They're they're fantastic. Do, do either of you do soup at all during the race? Uh, Mayo. Yep, I, I normally get a little bit at Mayo. So in a, in a Gatorade bottle. So. Yeah, I, I did, uh, the second year I raced, I did chicken noodle soup, although it was mostly broth, uh, at Mayo and at Alcona, both in those, like, single-serve chocolate milk jugs, but, you know, chocolate milk was emptied out, bottles rinsed out, what have you, but, you know, that style of quick drink bottle. Okay, yeah. It was a godsend both times. Man, that's a good idea because I've always did it in a Gatorade bottle and it's just too big. But the single serve milk bottle would just be perfect. Yeah, it worked really well for us because it it's a quick turn or a quarter turn to release the lid, so you don't even have to really unscrew much. And then one good chug is like half the bottle and and keep going. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm stealing that, man. That was that sounds genius. All right, guys. Uh, you guys, can you hear me now? Yep, we yeah. got you. Did we lose you? Yeah, yeah. I was out. My connection dropped out for a little bit. Um, but are you guys? Let's let's move on to the, the next topic because I want to get into the real uh, meat and potatoes. We've been uh, talking a bunch here, and uh, but um, before we do, let's talk about lights because that's one of the other big things um, that. You know, is is a big part, especially for people that are out of town because they don't know where they're going. Um, is having a good light on your bow uh, for your canoe. Um, I have been going back and forth. I'm a kind of a light guy. You know, this is kind of my uh, forte. Um, so I've been uh, every year that I've done it, I've gotten a new light. Just. Not because the old ones didn't work, but because technology is just leaps and bounds from 2015. And so uh, it's funny, I was talking with Joe uh, Schlimmer the, the other day and, and talking about people that still, people still use their trusty old uh, D-cell mag lights. Um, but it is amazing now, the um, technology that is out there. Um and so, do you guys uh, have a preference on your on your lighting needs? 
The only mm. light I ever used, I mean, I haven't raced for a long time, but I had a two-bulb, um, essentially mag light, and it it gave really great depth, um, like field of view, and, and you could also see in the water without glare, so that was really nice. So I've, I've had a variety of lights on the front of my boats over the year. Um, have did the mag light thing or been with people that have did the mag light thing. You, you can definitely get great performance out of a, um, you, you know, a four cell LED mag light at, at this point. It's not the mag light of old. Um, the year that I raced with Chris Hewitt, we had the greatest light on the planet. And there's actually like a poster discussion on uh, the Michigan Marathon page, the, the private training group thing about lights. And somebody put on there, whatever light it is that Chris Hewitt runs, it's a Phoenix something or another. And that light is incredible because it's got a pretty good spectrum of if you want to light up the entire river for the whole field to like see, it can do mm -hmm. that. If you don't want it, quite as bright you can also do that so i could really when i was in the bow of the year with him i could really dial it into what i was comfortable with um i've also used a, a terralux uh light star 300 which isn't nearly as powerful as a lot of the other lights out there but i'm not like personally i'm not a fan of a huge light i i i truly believe that some of the issues that paddlers face are and not for everybody but for some people are are self-inflicted in that we've created a light war of who can light up the river the the boldest and the brightest <laughs> and it really it really messes with you man it really does for yeah. some people not for everybody yeah for sure yeah <laughs> having been on shore the last um several years as a volunteer and a feeder there, there's definitely a correlation to you know as kevin said since 2015 the technology has gotten better and lights have gotten brighter but there's also seems to be a correlation with the brighter lights get the more paddlers are experiencing night uh, motion sickness at night and i don't know if that's directly connected or just just some kind of coincidence but it is interesting to think about yeah yeah it it, it, it really is with the Terralux, with that Lightstar 300, I loved actually running that popping on low, which is only 100 lumens. Yeah. Uh, now, now I have really good night vision. Um, I can go, and the other thing is, is I'm pretty familiar with the river. I can go up and down the river with no light if the moon is right. Right. And, and not really have too many issues. Not yeah. everybody is, is blessed like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, I ran into um, kind of uh, with mine. I had a, a Phoenix flashlight for 2015, and then uh, 2017, I moved to a mag, uh, Magic Shine uh, bike light, and I had the problem of it was too bright. So, like, uh, the highest setting was 5,000 lumens. Holy crap. Which, Holy moly. Which I never Holy. used, and its lowest setting was 2,000 lumens. So... At the lowest setting, it can run for like 12 hours, and so I only ran it on the on the lowest setting. But the lowest setting 
was getting people too mad at us when we were trying to pull up on someone and, you know, and bridge the gap between, uh, you know, to try to get up onto their wake wave. And 2,000 lumens is just too powerful. It has too much punch um, to do that. So um, we ended up having to put, like, a small little teeny mag light that had about, like, 50 lumens, 50, 100 lumens, and we put a red filter on it. And we ran that the entire night on top of it, so that way I'd shut the we'd shut the big light off, and we I called it a bridge light, so we used that to you know bridge the gap. Um, so then this year I ended up doing more research and found uh, it's called a Phoenix BC thirty V two. Um, its top lumens are twenty two hundred lumens, but then it goes down to fifty lumens. So that's a you know, if you're looking for a light, that's probably in the range of what you're going to want to look for um, because you got to realize a, a headlight for a car is around like 16 to 1700 lumens. So just to give you a perspective. Um, wow. So you were like triple the at 5000. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll show you. I'll show you. The, I'm bringing the light out. I'll show you when I get out there. Yeah, it lights. It, it lights up the like what you're talking about with Chris Hewitt. It, it lights up the the whole river. So what you're saying is you didn't paddle it in the night at all because it it was all daylight around you. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. It's you know you need it five thousand lumens. You just don't need that much. I mean, yeah, you, you, make, you make enemies really fast with a light that bright. That's, yeah. So. Yeah. But. Yeah, that, that's why I wanted to bring up lights, because I, I know that's something that I ran into, you know, I ran into the chasing the lumens um, when it's really not necessary. Um, you might, that might be a great light for someone doing like, uh, like the Yukon or, or, I mean, not even the Yukon, because it's light there when they do that, I think. Uh, but like, uh, you know. Something where you're, spread, where you're spread out a bunch and you're going to be doing a lot of running by yourself. Um, MR340 maybe, Texas Water Safari. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, those type of races. But um, for the marathon, I think that you're... Um, and, and I'll tell you, this, this, this Phoenix light that I just got is light, and it's just one unit. So um, whereas in that bike light I had, had a separate battery pack and just a light head on the front. So um, something to look into. I, my biggest tip is um, upgrade your lighting every, you know, five years or so if you, if you can afford it, obviously. But I mean, I think we all can. I mean, it was seventy bucks. It's not like it's breaking the bank. <laughs> you know hey guys, I mean? the the lighting guy is telling you to upgrade your lighting every four to five years. Imagine that. <laughs> But it's not like like there are some that are like you know uh, Joe showed me one that was a thousand dollars. That's a little bit overkill. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. a little excessive. Just to have somebody knock off the bow and the start or something. Exactly. Yep. There's, there's so. so many people that lose their lights every year. I wouldn't want a thousand dollar light going to the bottom of the river. Yeah, sure. <laughs> just let me know roughly where it is, please. Right. <laughs> I've seen plenty right after Parmalee. Oh boy. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. So, um, hey, let's get into um, let's let's get into the field discussion, man. Not the, but this is what I'm itching to do, man. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Where do you want to uh, start? 
let's so first off what do we know about who's like what have we noticed from those who have signed up like obviously we don't have that many canadians right because they we still got a lot going on we have border questions uh but what's crazy is is maybe in between the time that we record this and the time it gets released that changes but we don't know that um yeah we got a truckload a metric truckload of texans so we can good number yeah, yeah. What, what are we up to, Ryan? Do you know that offhand? Yeah, 20 Texans. 20 Texans. We're, yeah, God bless Texas, man. They're invading. That's awesome. And in their, and the previous record was 13, so they didn't just squeak by it. They're they're demolishing it, so kudos yeah, to Texas. Busted the door wide open. They and went Kool-Aid, man, right through it, so they did. Yeah. And, so. and they're... They're fast too, right? It's not like they're bringing up. Yeah, no, they're they're fast. So, yep. Yeah. Um, this, now this is where we need to we need to defer more to Ryan. Uh, what what are other some other trends that you've noticed for the entries this year? Well, uh, we have almost half the fields from outside of Michigan again. Uh, which has been a really good trend the last several years. Um, actually, 2019 was the first time ever that out-of-Michigan paddlers outnumbered Michigan paddlers. And uh, it seems like the competition from outside of Michigan keeps getting better, and they keep coming to the marathon, which is a great thing. Um, as for this year, we've got you know six mixed or six excuse me six women's teams signed up which if i'm not mistaken ties the second most all time there's 18 mixed teams 20 masters teams and 12 seniors teams and uh, all three of them fields are pretty deep and then um new to this year we have the veterans field the veterans division um handful of teams uh seven so far signed up for that and the the trend is, I mean, the competition at the top and in the middle and at the, you know, the, there's there's stout competition from first to last. It's 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 an incredible yeah. field this year. Yeah, yeah for the, sure. The the field is is stupid. I was talking to Christian about this the other night. The field is stupid deep, right? This is this is insane. Um, you've got. I'd say a safe 15 to plus or minus teams with top 10 credentials. You've got probably 50 teams that could be in the top 40. And you don't really have a huge back of the pack because everybody's fast. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, for sure. That's um, and another thing that I thought I I'm finding interesting is I, I feel like this year is a bigger like mashup of partners. Um, I think that we haven't really. I'm like looking at the the list here, and I'm not seeing as many um, you know, long time, you know, teams like we would typically see. Um, I'm seeing a lot of uh, paddlers paddling, you know, a, a, at least a big race. I mean, we've, we've seen some of these teams earlier this year, but um, we haven't seen a lot of these teams match up for big races. Um, do there's you guys a, agree? There's a that? lot of new, I agree, there's a lot of new pairings. 
So, so that makes it really interesting when you're talking about um, trying to like talk about predictions and and you know who's who you think's going to land where because you know it's one thing to have a team that's fast for an hour or two hours, but we're talking you know 14 to you know 19 hours here. So, um, and and how a team you know uh you know works together for that amount of time uh can really can really just uh play havoc into you know uh, predictions yeah absolutely i i think the fact that we don't as of right now have andy and steve really changed the the top up and even the you know, the, the through the top 25, you know, as to people looking for that magic bullet, you got different people looking to win. Um, it's, it's just going to be interesting, man. This would be a great yeah. one to spectate. Well, and, and there's some other, like, really top, top guys that aren't in the field uh, as of right now, you know, like Kristoff and Sam and uh, Guillaume. And, uh, you know, Pellerins, Jim, there's, Jim there's, Pellerins. Yep. So like, these are all guys that are, uh, consuming first through three spots regularly. So that's opening this, you know, the, the podium, uh, the podium in my opinion is just wide open right now. Um, which is which makes it makes this race so exciting in my opinion you know yeah it's exciting to see uh, Andy and Steve uh crushing on the race but i think that um i would really like to see like a real like you know a real dogfight of a race come that second half of the race where there's a, a group of 3 to 6 boats you know working together and uh, getting into having to actually get into really tactical tactics in the second half of the course. Yeah, you, you see which teams uh, conserved energy more than others too heading into those ponds. And if it's a nice pack race, it could be really exciting in those last couple of dams. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. So it is definitely going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of telling that you know the the preliminary finish projections that use the uh, NACPR, you know, there's a few teams that it says first through tenth is most likely, mm-hmm. and it's it's just that kind of field this year. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's like that's like uh, you know I, I'm looking at the projections right now and. Uh, um, you know, Mike and Ben Schlemmer, you know, they placed third together last time they raced. <laughs> so they placed third. And right now, uh, you know, with the projections are not, not in the top five. So, um, based on the rankings and everything. So, uh, that just tells you how, you know, how tight this race is actually going to be, I think. So do you guys want to start, uh, do you guys want to call out some names on who you, who you think uh, is going to show up and, and, and do, do well, or do you want to, are you guys going to be reserved on that? You guys going to be shy? Well, 
as as a committee member, I always try and not speak my personal preferences, mm-hmm. but I will I will talk all day about the NACPR projections. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Go go ahead. Fill fill us in on that, and then and yeah. For for those that don't know, uh, NACPR is North American Canoe Paddler Rankings. Um, it's the best method that we've came up with so far, anyway, of being able to rank paddlers based on their performance in the Triple Crown races. And as such, we use that data for a projection model. And currently, the projection model has Team 63 sitting in first by a mere six seconds. Jordan Wakeley, Matt Mearsman, Team yep. 63, for those of you that don't know. And um, nipping on their heels are West Dean and Weston Willoughby, uh, who moved up two spots in the projections based on their win at the Curly Memorial uh, last weekend. Um, their their win at the Curly definitely got a lot of people a lot of people talking. I mean, the, the speculation game's in full swing right now. Oh, man, a- a- absolutely. And that's a team, they were out in front of Wakely and Mearsman at Ross Common to the buoy. So they were, um, and then lost it on the way back up. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, from from conversations I've had with a whole bunch of different paddlers, um, Wesson and Weston moved deeper, or better in the deeper water, and Jordan and Matt were better in the shallower water. So it'll be interesting how they pair up over the course of the whole race. And then uh, currently projected third is Mike Davis and Shane McDowell. And, I mean, they're only seven, no, not even five seconds behind Weston projected. So, I mean, top three boats, there's 11 seconds projected between them. I mean, that's just how this field is. Yeah, I um, I, I made a projection at Spikes. I was, I was drinking with the crew one night. Um, and Mike is, Mike is ready to win. You know, you you can see like, this is a dude that wants to win the triple crown race. And this was back, I don't know, three, four years ago. It's 2021 is your year, Mike. Like not now 2021 is your year to win it all. So if Mike, if you actually listen, right, like if you could make me a profit and win this year, like that would be awesome. And I, I truly believe he's, you know, him and him and Shane have battled together a lot. There's a lot of chemistry together. So that, that could work. I mean, not to heap any pressure on him or anything, but. Yeah, not, um, not, not at all. Right. Yep, exactly. Right. <laughs> and and the, the, the curly races last weekend, you know, they, the top three boats all hit foot down at the same time. And Mike and Shane were second to the foot. And yes. if it wasn't for a siphoned drinker, Mike and Shane might have been pushing uh, Wes and Weston for the win. So Yeah, that's that's good to hear for those of us that predicted Mike Davis wins the canoe marathon in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Who you yeah. got fourth in the uh, NACPRs? Uh, Texas team, Chris Isendorf and Logan Miner. Uh, Chris finished third in 2019 with Pete Mead, and Logan has been a uh, perennial top 10 paddler since he started racing the marathon. Yes, and they're 
projected to be the top team from Texas, and there's some Texas paddlers who even think they're capable of winning at all. I, I, I'm not a Texas paddler, but I'm going to say they are definitely capable of winning at all. Um, Chris, when you when you look back at paddlers over the last X amount of years, I think he would be my choice for the most improved in the history of the race. And the ARCM, as far as in, in recent history, um, the ARCM is as much about grit as it is anything else. And there isn't much tougher than that team as far as straight grit goes. It, it's not like the 70, which is, I, I don't know, it's 70 is a different race. So is the Class C, diff, different race. The, to go 120 miles, you got to have something a little different. And they've got that capacity. So that's a team. They could win that. I could see that. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's kind of touching on what you just said. I mean, Chris Isendorf, since 2016, 24th, his first race, into third two years ago. I mean, that's that's a hell of an improvement in a very short amount of time. And it, it shows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I want to I want to talk about uh, improvement in paddlers too, especially even even at the top, because you talk about that. You talk about like um, West Dean, you know, his worst finish was fifty fifth, and his best finish is sixth, and yeah. we're projecting him in the top two right now. So that's right. pretty darn crazy, you know. And th- this is to inspire some some people. You know, just because you finish, you know, you're not finishing in the top 10 in your first marathon doesn't mean you can't be in the top 10. Right. A- a- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Westine, mm-hmm. cool thing if Westine wins is I'm going to be like, yeah, Westine drug me to 11th at Mayo one time in an MCRA race. <laughs> he has come Jesus. so far, man, in his paddling career. And it's, yeah. So yep. so is Danny Medina. He's came a long way, especially the last few years. Yeah. The hardest person and in canoe working, canoe paddling, if you ask me, Danny. So, yeah. Yeah. And Carson Burmeister, you know, fellow uh, team canoe race world um, paddler, you know, he, uh, you know, he was uh, worst finish 49th, best finish 15th. And uh, right now he's projected at 7th um from the nacpr rankings so you know there's another guy there and you know danny medina is another guy he finished his first one was 57th you know and then he's he's also he has a top 10 in there so um you know it's cool that's one of the, the the coolest things that um i wanted to kind of uh um you know, highlight, I want to highlight, you know, the, the Tristan sisters with, uh, went from 77th up to 34th. So hope to see them continue to rise. Greg Zofi. Greg Zofi. Yeah. He's, he's had a steady climb up. I mean, he had an 80th place finish, uh, several years ago. And in 2019 cracked him top 40 for the first time a 38th. Uh, he's steadily improved over the years. How old do you have that right offhand? How old was Greg when he cracked the top forty? Uh, let me look. Yeah, we'd ha- we'd have to look that up. Another one, Gwen Hills. She uh, went from seventieth to twenty fourth. Um, Greg was sixty two. 
62 when he cracked the top 40 for the first time. There's there's hope for me yet. I got 22 years to go. <laughs> so there's just there's just I mean we we'd sit here all night talking about you know people that have uh, really made a, a a difference uh, from their you know where they started or or their worst finish to their best finish. I think it's a a great testament to the the race itself. You know um, that we can gonna have that that type of conversation so um we want to dig more into this top of the field or we want to uh, yeah, talk let's, about well we you can, know what let's let's run through at least the first um if you don't mind fifth and sixth the the teams that are projected with a chance at winning it well one of those isn't officially signed up yet <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I do included... we not hang on before we say it do we do we talk about them or do we not I'll leave that to you guys. We can, I mean, we can talk talk about them because I mean, I had a conversation with uh, with Ryan, so I mean, I, I, it could have changed since then, but um, you know, right now the you know the projection is Brett Stockton and Ryan Halstead in fifth. Um, Ryan told me that he was planning on racing with Brett if uh, he was. Um, so I think that, you know, but who knows? Who knows if, you know, what's happened since then, you know, their entry isn't in yet. So this is all hypothetical anyways. And then, yeah, uh, but, go ahead. Former former champion and legend, Brett Stockton. Stockton. Yeah, he hasn't With raced since 1992. Yeah. yeah. Was that Stockton's last one was 92? Yeah, went out on a win in 92 and... And hung them up, hung the paddles up. Then, <laughs> and they are flying. Um, I I was out doing my loop from my house there on the Asabo, paddling back up river, and just kind of half asleep, you know. Because let's face it, I don't always train hard. Um, all right, maybe most of the time I don't train hard. Shame on me. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> here is Halstead's boat. Halstead's in the stern, and I'm like. Who's with holy sh- that's Brett Stockton? <laughs> and they were they were moving, man. So that that'd be interesting if they do sign up. So, well, sure. the the last conversation I had with Ryan was on Sunday at the uh, Curly C one race, and he implied to me that uh, him and Brett were racing, but Brett was kind of having second, you know, kind of doubting himself. Not really second thoughts, but kind of doubting himself. But um, all the uh, data that i've seen from strava they've been running about a 1447 pace in low water so i mean they're fast yeah, yeah. absolutely let's um let's talk about that team in six that was already hinted at in the in the schlimmers like how do you if you're the schlimmers and man, you took third in this thing here you are projected in sixth um that's a team that could win it that's how deep this is for sure, for sure. Mike and Ben are both, you know, extremely uh, capable paddlers. Um, you know, Mike's actually coming off of uh, a bike injury, uh, <laughs> a bike race injury um, that knocked him out of the, doing the Texas water safari. So, um, but they definitely, uh, definitely have the capability in, in that team 
you know, they've uh, Ben's been top two at the Clinton. And I, don't, I can't I can't tell you how many times now. Um, so they're, they're definitely definitely have the capabilities there. It's just if they're able to put together the race. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. I don't know that I want to pick a team. It's it's too tough. I don't. Yeah. Does that make us a coward if we don't actually pick somebody out of this, though? No, I don't think so. I mean, we're here to discuss what the possibilities are. And at this point, there there's a lot of possibilities out there, is, is my personal opinion. Um, I don't think that there's a clear favorite. I yeah, mean, I, I have to say, I think any of the teams... Even if they come outside of that top six, if somebody deeper than that top six pulls one off, um, I think they're all very worthy champions in this field. It's going to be exciting to see what happens. For sure. Can't wait for Saturday. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now, now talking about Saturday, why don't we talk about the – the weather, water levels, and the moon. Well, but before we get there, should we preview the mix and the masters yeah, and masters? Divisions? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, why not? Yeah, you can't skip that stuff, okay. man. All this right, is going to be right. the longest podcast ever. Our listeners yeah. are going to be tired, but we're going to be happy. My apologies. <laughs> no, you're good. Because um, it's yeah, it's awesome. It's good stuff. We only get to do this once a year, guys. That's right. That's yeah. true. So break it, break it down for us, uh, Ryan. Well, I'll start with the women's division. Ladies first, after all. <laughs> um, currently projected to win that division is the Trustin sisters. Um, they're slated to finish in between 29th and 41st. Um, they'll be holding off Caitlin Minar and Virginia Condi and also the team of uh, Maria Schilling and Lynn Whitty. And a handful of others. Um, there's there's one women's team I don't really know a whole lot about, uh, Cecily Boogie and Holly Orr. I haven't seen much race data on them. They are a rookie team. That's because they do the um, they do the Texas Water Safari. Yeah, we, we, we still owe Cecily a uh, a podcast mm-hmm. episode, man. Yeah. She's got a great story. That's yes. So they're gonna they're they're definitely gonna gonna be in contention, I would think. Okay. And yeah, then uh, shifting gears to the mixed division, um, Richard Louth and Mary Slimmer are slated to defend their mixed championship from 2019. Mm-hmm. And but nipping on their heels is going to be Jeff Kolka and Naomi Kolka, the, the and, legendary Jeff Kolka, former champion Jeff Kolka. Sorry, Gary. And, and then currently slated uh, to finish third in the mixed division is uh, gentleman on this podcast, Kevin Olson and <laughs> Sylvia Nadu. Yeah, well, we're we're gonna have the race that we're gonna have. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go and battle. I mean. Uh, that I'm I'm not willing to just uh, just uh, hand them first and second. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I told you, Ryan, you should have messed with the man and put him back <laughs> in like fifth in the mixed division or something, and really just yeah, that's what I would have did. 
I am I am a competitor and I am a grinder. I I will uh, I will leave I will leave everything I have on that river. Um, come Saturday, Sunday, I will I will tell you that much. But uh, looking looking forward to battling these uh, other mixed teams. I've never I've never raced mixed. I think the race that I'm looking forward to, like the race within the race the most, and I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit, is either the Masters race or the Seniors race. Both of those are going to be epic. Lots of four strong teams for both divisions. Yeah, walk us through them quick. Uh, well, for the Masters, uh, Walton and I, I always butcher, is it Page? Is that how you Page. Page. Yes, uh, Walton and Page. Um, but, I mean, six seconds back projected is Eric Gang. Terrible at pronouncing it. We'll just go with Eric G. Safe Eric G way. and Tad Hill. Um, and then you've also got Steve Watson and Patrick Madden. I mean, Steve's been super fast this mm-hmm. year. And then... Uh, one of the best grinding teams out of Grayling. You got Jason Hatfield and Colin Hunter. Deuce, and deuce, deuce, deuce. And uh, I mean, even even going further down, you got David Teddy and Bill Taranjo. I mean, both of those guys have prior top ten finishes. And then uh, you know Mike Hartman, Sean Casey, and and others. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's going to be a wicked man. How do you? Yeah, nope, not even picking. Moving on. <laughs> and then uh, seniors division. I mean, you got Seth and Stephen Miller. They've they've won the last three uh, three you know the three three peat champs for the seniors division. But they're going to have strong competition from Eric Batway and Mike Bradford. Um, Mike Mike's a beast of a paddler. He's been paddling since the 80s. He 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 knows the river well. He knows how to paddle a stern really well. Um, and then you've also got. Dan Mecklenburg and John Webb and Paul Only and Mike Freeze. I mean, that, that's a solid. Yeah, solid there's, there's field. four really good teams there. I'm looking forward to that that race between Batway and Bradford. Okay, and there is Batway is the definition of grinder and dedicated mm-hmm. to the sport with the legendary Mike Bradford going up against the Millers, who are the three P champions. Versus Mecklenburg and Webb, who by all accounts should probably fly with the New York guys thrown in there, and Paul only and Mike Fries. Freeze. That's freeze. that's just freeze. Yeah, that's that's sick, man. And they're all pretty close in the projections. Oh yeah. yeah What's it? Well, roughly 15, twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. Twenty minutes or so between them all. Yeah, that'll that be nice. an interesting race for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of going you know, back, you know, with the most improved John Webb the last several years, he's been getting faster, and you know, it's it's crazy to think about age and getting faster. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Hey, real for quick sure. to circle back on the mixed thing, I was looking at the records, and I think the forty-three-year-old male record for the mixed team thing and all your record books. I think I could get that in three years. So if there are any female paddlers out there that want to give it a go <laughs> in twenty twenty-three, I think we can get what, it, man. I really what, think what we can really appreciate it. Yeah. Twenty twenty-three, that may happen. That could happen. So it could. Um uh, but I wouldn't turn down Rebecca or Mary <laughs> if they offer there. Let's yeah. 
that's great. That's great. I mean, so. Rebecca's, Rebecca's sitting out this year. Uh, obviously, she had a child not long ago, and it's uh, going to be different without her and Edith leading the excuse me the women's division. Yeah, for sure. For, for sure. Maybe maybe either of them are saving it for 2023 to drag me to that. I think it's like a 1609 or something. It's hittable. Come on, please. I'm begging you. Uh, uh, nice, nice. Um, so is that is that all we want to touch on on the on that type of type of uh, discussion, guys? Well, I mean, I I could talk projections and speculation for hours so you right. can cut me off probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. i'm the same way and be- before we like go down a rabbit hole and and say something that offends somebody or something like yeah. that i think we should probably yeah, yeah for probably sure. get off that for sure so so then let's get into the next uh topic is um let's talk about the weather and uh just the general conditions that we're looking at so um with the projected uh forecast what are we looking at weather uh water uh depth wise and just general weather wise ryan well i mean it, it is michigan weather so anything can change but right now we only see one more day of rain before the race so that one day of rain unless we get you know cats and dogs coming out of the sky it's not gonna drastically change um what we're seeing from uh, the river right now and right now the river is below average in terms of flow um we got we had some rain today that kicked it up to right about average but uh, by the time we hit race day it's going to be it'll be below average and uh, right around a 1440 winning time okay so um, for those of you that don't know, there's a race projection, uh, projection uh, based on water flow uh, on the Asabo website. So uh, go and check that out if you're uh, interested. And it's pretty, uh, it's it's pretty accurate from my understanding. Correct? Yeah, it's scary accurate, man. It, it's it's accurate within 10 minutes overall, which what is that, five seconds or something per mile? I mean, yeah. it's um it it, it's got it breaks it down on uh, you know the split times and the point to point times projected as well that's cool Um, yeah that's it it, water is always the talk and everybody is always we we need water we need water we need water um you have to be careful about the timing of that water because what tends to happen is that you may get water if it if a flash storm hits within a few days of the race and it may just cause things to get swampy like just because you have water doesn't mean you get flow and then the river gets a little boggy until it actually starts to flow and move out so it'll it'll be interesting yeah there's a there's a fine line there where it it hovers around low where low water is actually great for popping the boat and low water where it makes everything sucky. And it's a really fine line. Um, we actually saw similar water conditions in 2016. You know, the projected winter time that year was like 1443. 
and you know everyone knows that Halstead and Prue and uh, you know Andy and Jacob they crushed that projection handedly. So it it you know River Flow is hardly the only variable indicator. Right. Yep, variable. That'd be a good way to put it. So. Yeah, for sure. I, I will. I will say this for my uh, explorations on the ponds. It seems like that run of really, really hot weather brought out the weeds extremely bad in the ponds. So that could be interesting going across some of them. So. Yeah, that that you make a good point there, Bill. Uh, I remember in 2017 trying to go through one of the grass cuts, and it was no longer. Uh, <laughs> No longer cut. there. <laughs> no, no longer actually a cut. Yeah. <laughs> so we drew, we were following a Canadian team that had the same track as us, and we're going, and then they just slam into it, and then we just slam into their stern because we were only three inches off them. <laughs> <laughs> then we're like, oh crap! Back up! Back up! Back up! <laughs> yeah, there is no there is no cut here, fellas. Yeah. It, <sighs> So we could see some of that stuff. Which which cut was that? Out of just out of curiosity, I don't know. I'm I was delirious at that point. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I have been told the uh, the cut the cut in uh, the beginning of Cook, and all three cuts in Foot are pretty weeded over right now. So okay, good to know. Good to know because yeah, probably one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's it's going to be interesting. What you know, we're also going to see another full moon. Um, and I, man, I don't know. Full moon seem to make people sick. That's just my personal opinion. There's a lot of people that have a love hate relationship with the full moon in the race. Um, yeah, statistically, yep, statistically, uh, more drops happen in full and new moons than any other moon condition, but. I mean, that could be just coincidence, but, you know, full moon does make a lot more reflections and a lot more shadows, and it can it can mess with people's depth perception and ability to see obstacles. Yeah. Hmm. It shall be interesting. That's, uh, that's for sure, you know. Um, that's another thing when you're talking about the light um, factor and everything is how the moon light is going to play play a role. I mean, it'll really depend on cloud cover though, too. Yeah, and and what, you know, position the moon is in the sky. I um, mean, if it if the moon's behind you or in your face, I mean, it it all matters. Yeah, for sure. So, it'll it'll be interesting. We'll we'll hopefully have some better uh understanding of what Potentially will happen with the weather uh, come a little closer the race day, but that's what we have for you guys at this point. Um, last thing, we, we should probably get this, uh, this 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 episode wrapped up. So why don't we uh, finish off with uh, just some general updates for those of you that have uh, hung in with us this long. Um, Ryan, tell us some of the changes to... Um, that have been happening. Uh, mainly, I'm uh, I guess I'm referencing the changes to the port, the portages. Yeah. Um, currently, uh, of the six consumers' energy hydro dams, four of them are under construction or underwent construction. Um, 
Mayo is currently being worked on, and they have a whole bunch of gravel right now on the spillway. Uh, you know, the spillway ramp still is usable, but that gravel is, um, it can be a bit of a tripping hazard. Um, it is all compacted down from what I was told, but just the way that it's shaped, it kind of is a sharp, you know, a sharp, uh, a steep climb. Um, but I don't know how that's going to be race night. We haven't heard yet. Um, five channels dam. They're just supposed to start the uh, the new upper portage. Uh, they're going to change it to match what uh, the construction that was done at Foot Dam a few years ago with the uh, concrete and the concrete steps or the steps cut out of the concrete. Um, and then Loud, nothing's really changed with Loud, but construction is ongoing on the tail race. So if you plan on feeding there, there's very little parking because all of the equipment that they're using for construction is taking up a majority of the small parking lot that was already there. And then Alcona has seen the biggest change in the uh, bottom of Alcona. A brand new, beautiful looking uh, portage was built um, to replace the old, old uh, narrow wooden stairs that went into clay, a clay drop off. Now you've got a nice gradual concrete path that has a nice, Nice platform to get in. Um, there is a bit of a rock bed shortly after you get in the water. It can um, be in the way of the racing line. Some teams have suggested actually pointing upstream to get around it a little better. Kind of like what they do at the Classic at that one spot. Kind of point it upstream and, and paddle it out and whip it around. Sweep it, sweep it around into the current, yeah. Sweep uh, it around. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Cool, cool. Um, and so are any of these changes like big changes where that are going to have to go to a different side of the dam or anything like that? Um, no, you should be able to portage okay. everything um, as normal, at least sides-wise. Um, the Alcona portage, because it does kind of bottleneck at the at the bottom of with that new um, that new put in, there's probably going to be a rule that you have to have your feed completed before the concrete path starts, just so we're not okay. having a whole bunch of teams congesting that path. Because um, there are big rocks to the outside of the path, and that the lip, there's some people afraid that might be a tripping hazard if teams are screaming down. With mm-hmm. uh, spec or uh, not spectators, but feeders running alongside them. So, gotcha, gotcha. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. Hey, what's the um, before we wrap this thing up? Is there any update as far as uh, access to Mayo for the feeders? Oh, uh, that's the big question. Um, okay. We don't. Yeah, we don't have to go there yet then. <laughs> well, I, I can give you what I know, which isn't much, but. Um, we have been, and I say we as in uh, the committee, has been in talks with the new property owner um, of what used to be Gotts in Mayo. And it does seem that they will, I mean, don't hold me to this because I haven't heard total confirmation, but 
it does seem that they will let feeders only park there on the property. However, um, it's going to be a trial a trial run. Um, feeders are going to have to be very diligent about not leaving trash on the property. Be on their best behavior. Yep. Yep. And it does not appear that the trail up to the back end of the dam is going to be allowed. So if you do park there, you'll still have to walk out to the road, which was at M33. Yep. And then walk up the bottom of the dam, up the path, and onto the spillway. Um, that's what I know so far. Interesting. Hey, I appreciate the update of what you know. Um, in the insurance business, we use the term may not that will quite a bit because it may happen it may not <laughs> right. so you, if you're out there listening you may want to make alternative plans for parking yeah or or try and feed uh maybe a little further downstream at cummins flats or or whatnot loud's rest stop uh, there's a couple others um absolutely Anywhere along there, really, even the MDOT access or um, the well, the canoe liveries put in. Yeah, yeah. Um, final details will be at the pre-race briefing on Friday. So, cool, cool. Well, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for uh, coming on and uh, gracing us with uh, a bunch of your knowledge here. Um, I know you have oodles and oodles of more that you could have shared um but we just don't have the time <laughs> yeah i, I kind of kept you guys late didn't i it's all good so uh, yeah i definitely uh appreciate you having me on it's been a pleasure yeah dude it was awesome having you on absolutely thank you very much for this this was a lot of fun so um for everyone uh all of our uh three fans that are still listening uh thank you so much for uh tuning in for this very very long episode um come uh, say hi to any of our the team canoe race world um members uh at the marathon um we'll be there all you know pretty much all the sprint days i'll be there and uh, i'm sure uh, bill's going to be around too and whole gang so we'd be more than uh, happy to um say hi to you guys and we can't wait to get on the river and race with you again you have anything more to add bill that's about all i got uh man it was a great episode i am so excited like i say this is this is my christmas and we're almost here so all right until next time guys keep paddling on keep paddling on Thank you for listening to the CanoeRaceWorld.com podcast, where we love marathon canoe racing and aren't afraid to say it. Be sure to visit the website at CanoeRaceWorld.com, and don't forget to support our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Until next time, keep paddling. Keep paddling.